Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives. Most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos. Your life improvement series starts now. Hello, hello, Heal Squad. Today is going to be a great day. Because when you know better, you get better. And that's what we're going to do here today with Latham Thomas. Can't wait to tell you all about her. But first, our quote of the day. This act of standing in your power ignites a force within that glows from the inside out. Like I said, that's from Latham Thomas, our guest today, Hill Squad. We have an amazing episode for you today. I'm so excited. Latham is a world-renowned wellness leader and master birth doula. She's the founder of Mama Glow, a global maternity health and education brand serving birthing people along the childbearing continuum. She is incredible. She's been on the show before. Um, she's been cultivating her wellness practice for over a decade, um, as a doula and lifestyle guru for the likes of Alicia Keys, Anne Hathaway, Ashley Graham, uh, Gabrielle Union, and so many more today. She's going to be chatting with us all about the differences between a doula and a midwife, um, how you can get it covered by your insurance and also the important questions you need to ask of your doctor in any kind of serious situation where you might be feeling like you don't have any power, right? You're in the ER or you just got diagnosed with something. Um, Just wait. Her questions actually blew me away. And I feel like I do this behind the scenes all the time, but the way she had it organized and it's so efficient is super, super important, life-changing, life-saving. And, uh, and so much more, you guys are going to love this because I know I loved it. And whether you're having a baby already had your babies, it doesn't matter. This is a health conversation and you need to hear it and it will empower you. Um, and I don't know, I'm just so excited. It's such a cool combo. It's one of those, I feel like Maria, what I love about our show is I wasn't even expecting this, honestly. Like, I kind of had a different when I was thinking about the episode. I was like, parts of it, yes. But then you guys went down a whole nother rabbit hole Mm -hmm. that was so amazing and so beautiful. And I'm so grateful. And I'm excited for y'all to listen because 
You're going to learn so much. Let's take a quick break and we'll get right to When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T H E O U A I dot com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T H E O U A I dot com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Latham, you were named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100. Like, that's a holy moly moment. I don't remember when that took place. Um, it's a couple, it was many years ago, but I've been in, in women's health for over two decades. So um, I think it's nice for people to acknowledge um, the work, but it's not why I do it. So um, I'm grateful, but um, you know, I'm moved by the people that I serve and, and the communities that that we support and obviously the thousands of doulas that I've trained and, and, you know, have an employee and who are working to, to improve maternal health outcomes. That's to me the most important. So I'm grateful that for the acknowledgement, but for me, it's just like the, the gift is really to show up in the work every day and, 
and serve. So, yeah. How refreshing. <laughs> That's really cool. So how did you get into all of this? You know, I, um, I have a son who's, um, 19 and, um, he's in his second year of college. And so when I was pregnant with him, uh, I think living in New York, I was, um, you know, navigating where to get the best support, the best products and services. Now, if you think back to 20 years ago, right. Um, the internet, we first of all didn't think the internet was here to stay, right? Like we were like, what, whatever this online thing is, we were still writing letters. <laughs> Just so for, for for context, right? We we're still writing letters. We were still using um, the telephone, which is like a relic now. Um, now it's cell phones only, right? Like no no landlines, no landlines, done. Right? Like landlines are over. Um, and so, and telephone books, right? Like I used to look for resources in telephone books because we didn't have Google really. Like Google is like nascent, right? And so, um, so yeah. So like my experience with my son delivering in a birth center with midwives um, was incredible. It was transformative. And I wanted to, you know, continue to support people in the way that I have been supported. And, um, and also help people to reclaim this time in their lives as, as sacred, as beautiful, as, um, you know, ritualized and, um, and as a rite of passage, birth is really a rite of passage. And, um, and so, yeah, so that kind of like kicked off the journey for me was like this, this birth of my son, but, um, you know, I was interested from a young girl, you know, my mother was pregnant when I was four years old and then my sister as well as, uh, with, with my sister rather. And then my aunt and my great aunt were also pregnant all at the same time. And they were due March, wow. April, May, like each one after the next. And so it was like, <laughs> it's like when you see, you know, you know, when you see, um, like in the wild, all the mammals give birth at the same time. It's like, here's all the sheep babies and here's all the, right? Um, here's all the little baby horses and the, the little calves are all coming at the same time. It was like that. It was like every single one of the most important women in my life were all giving birth at the same time. And I was fascinated by that. And I learned so much through my mother she taught me so much about body literacy. I learned about the body through coloring books, uh, anatomy-based coloring books that she gave me back in the 80s. So yeah, that was like all of the kind of, you know, all of the fixings to create this stew that would become my life's work. Uh, well, when you decided to use midwives and do um, that kind of birth, right? Like a non-hospital yeah. birth, is there an actual term for it? I like how you said it. I like how you said it. Non-hospital. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Out of hospital birth or yeah. um, I was in a birth center. So, um, so there's obviously the hospital, right. Which most people know is a pathway um, to deliver a baby um, for safe birth, for complicated birth. Um, it's an option, right? Um, if you have a healthy pregnancy and you're a low risk out of hospital birth is an option. And that can be in a birth center environment, which is kind of like a hybrid between a home and a clinical setting. So it feels very much like um, like the furnishings and the 
the energy and the way that it's sort of governed. It's governed by midwives. Um, it's it's tended to by midwives and nurses. And the way that um, the midwifery model of care works, it's more patient-centric. And so you feel really at the center of your care in that space. And, um, and it feels like a home. So where I delivered, there was like a kitchen and a kind of common area and people could like watch TV or cook. And then if I wanted to eat, I could eat. And then um, there was like a little private birthing room with a really beautiful um, bed and like this gorgeous quilt. And then they had a skylight and a tub with jets, which was key, right? Because I was in that tub um, during the labor with the jets. Um, and so if I didn't do that, another option would have been home birth, right? Which is obviously inside your home and, and attended by midwives, right? So so I had the kind of in-between version where I had the clinical support in a, in a clinical setting that was more set up like a home environment. I'm curious, are there more birth centers now than when you did this 20 years ago, basically? There are less. Oh, no, it sounds so ideal because... I remember watching Ricky Lake's documentary, The Business of Being Born, and being so moved and saying to my husband, like, when I get pregnant someday, that's what I want to do. Because it was so intimate and real and beautiful. But I was like, I'd be scared to do it at home. God forbid something happened. Like being in a birth center sounds like the happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. Birth center is great because, again, like... If you need to transfer to a hospital, you can transfer um, if there's an emergency, right? But yeah, you're not at home in case that was, you know, a concern. Where I lived at the time, I was very close to the hospital as well as to the birth center. And so I could have gone either direction. I just really um, resonated with the birth center and also felt like I didn't want to do it at home, not because of um, a fear of home, but just like, it wasn't the perfect home environment for me. I was living with my mm. boyfriend at the time. It wasn't like, I didn't feel like it was my space. So, um, so I preferred this setting, but I think that, you know, for everyone, there's an option, right? And so you just have to think through what feels best for you. And a lot of that changes as you navigate the period. Like I have friends who come in and they're like, Hey, I think I, you know, want to do a hospital birth. I want the epidural. I'm ready. And then they come on the whole other side, end up with a home birth with midwives and unmedicated. And so you never know, you know, sometimes you come into it with one set of values and then you come on to the other side with a different experience. And so just really being open and educating yourself is really, um, I think is really important. And also having access to really good support people like doulas are great because they really can just help you navigate um, the care continuum and answer your questions and help guide you towards certain types of practitioners who can join your birth team, right? And help you, you know, make those, uh, those decisions. Yeah. A birth team is important. And I feel like a lot of people still don't know the role of a doula and what yeah. the difference may be, is there a difference between a doula and a midwife? I don't even know. And I have a really good friend who's a doula. Um, so maybe can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you say you don't know the difference because a lot of people don't. And the reason for that, well, there's many reasons for that, but I believe that those reasons are intentional um, because 
we have in the United States um, sort of built systems against midwifery. And you mentioned um, Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein's film, The Business of Being Born, which I believe really outlines this well, right? Where they talk about the um, the 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 beginning sort of of um, midwifery in this country and how midwives were pushed out of the um, workforce essentially for their skill sets to be brought inside of the hospital system by men, right? Who would hmm. then take over the work and start practicing this work inside of hospitals, criminalize midwives for practicing if they were not compliant to the medical standards. And um, and then they could no longer practice in the ways that they were in community. Um, they also weaponized insurance and in making it possible for people who were poor or who were black to come into the hospital. And now they became attractive clients to white doctors who would take their insurance. And so that took money outside of the community. Um, and then, you know, they were also blamed for the poor birth outcomes that we saw. And so they were scapegoated for many years uh, for what we saw as poor birth outcomes, when in fact, midwives have the best health outcomes um, when it comes to maternal and infant health. And so um, and we know this globally, we see this data that shows that in, in high income countries that have a higher midwifery to obstetrician ratio, um, they have actually better health outcomes in the United States who has a higher obstetrician to midwifery ratio and have poor maternal health outcomes. So, you know, midwives have been um, devalued in the work that they do. And it's been equated to the work of, of, of doulas. It's not the same. Although our the way that we think and some of our philosophies really are aligned, the, the work of midwives is clinical. So they are there to see a client along the entire reproductive continuum, right? So when you have your first bleed, right? So menses starts, um, pregnancy, um, birth, uh, miscarriage, abortions, um, perimenopause, right? And then everything in between, including some of the complexities that occur um, along the reproductive continuum that can be really challenging, like navigating things like fibroids or PCOS, um, or even things as common as um, yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis, right? These are things that they can also work with to treat. Wow, um, I had no idea. Yeah, they can do all this and they can they can see you just like you would go see um, your gynecologist, right? Who you go see annually, who does your checkups. Your midwife could also do that. And the great thing about working with a midwife in this capacity is that if they've been seeing you um, since you were young, then they got get to watch you along the entire reproductive continuum as you change and develop and move through your life stages, right? So they're there really to support the life course, and that includes birth, right? So, but they are trained to be able to support the entire life course. Um, doulas are there to provide non-clinical support, which is mostly emotionally based and then advocacy based. So non-clinical support would include um, emotional support, right? So helping you just like with that cheerleader, you know, as you navigate the birth, physical support, right? So touch is really critical in birth. Um, it really helps us to navigate the challenges of and the demands of what labor makes on the body. 
you know, touch is really important for that. Um, so physical support, um, educational support, making sure that you have access to not only information and resources and tools, but also that you're learning in the way that speaks to your learning style and are able to communicate and articulate your needs to the um, providers and folks that you're working with. So education is really key. Um, advocacy, right? Being able to speak up and use your voice um, to advocate for your needs. Um, doulas are really big proponents of advocacy and support um, advocacy alongside their clients. And then um, partner tools, right? So if you have a partner, um, you know, they're going to want to participate at their level of comfort. And so doulas help them to be really active participants in the process, right? And they serve as almost like this glue, like bringing everybody together, gelling everybody together, right? And so if you think about um, the midwife, you think about the doula, you think about um, them working together as a great unit. They're like peanut butter and jelly, right? Um, and they work together. So you don't have um, a midwife or a doula. You can have both. You can have a midwife and not a doula and have a lot of the same kind of care that a doula provides, your midwife can provide. But it's like they can't be full on doing all of the work that a doula does, which is really help you navigate the entire, you know, uh, prenatal as well as during your birth, attending your birth when your midwives arrive, just like when doctors arrive, midwives will help to um, navigate the the birth process with, um, you know, clinical supports as well, right? So they are skilled clinicians. And if there is in, in the event of an emergency, if that birth needs to be transferred to a hospital setting so that um, um, obstetrician can take over, then the midwife sort of fills this more emotional based role. And then the doctor would take over uh, the birth if, if it's going to head into a C-section or some other type of outcome. So um, that's how they kind of work. Um, and it's really important to know the difference because people don't know how to make financial choices, right? You don't know if you should hire a doula or a midwife, or does it does a doula and a doctor work together? Do doctors and midwives work together? And in what and in what way, right? That you're continues. asking all the questions that were coming up. <laughs> but because the first thing I'm thinking of is, well, how do you get a midwife? Is it covered by insurance? Do you have to pay them out of pocket? I know a doula you have to pay out of pocket, but I've really never had discussions around midwives. Yes, exactly. So, so midwives, um, some will take insurance. Um, it depends on your state. It depends on the insurance type. Um, you know, you can get, um, the services reimbursed. So whether they take the insurance or not, you can still submit it for reimbursement, um, to your insurance company. Um, yeah. Um, and it's, and it's fairly affordable. So you're talking about, between depending on where you're located between forty five hundred to nine thousand dollars for the birth um for to work with a midwife right um as opposed to um you know fifteen thousand is like the average like across the United States for a vaginal delivery um it's obviously much more in the coastal cities and then on average, maybe like twenty two thousand um, to thirty five thousand for a C section, depending on where you are in the country. So you know it can be expensive to have a baby, but on the lower end, if you want to work with a midwife, it's less expensive. Um, doulas can be 
can range anywhere between, again, depending on where you are, $900 to around $4,000, $5,000, depending on who you're working with, their expertise and um, and where you're located, right? So, and there's also programs that offer pro bono doula services. Um, a lot of states are launching their own programs whereby the state is actually covering the expense of doulas. And so um, New York City has um, a pilot program like this called the Citywide Doula Initiative. And um, the Mamala Foundation is actually the largest provider of pro bono doula services in New York City through this program. That's um, your foundation, just to make sure everybody knows, Mama Glow. Yes, thank you. And so, um, and so a program like that, for instance, right, allows people who would ordinarily not be able to access doula support to to get support. Um, so there's no reason why people shouldn't be able to access it because it exists either through public or private funding um, and out of pocket pay, like you mentioned, like I just, I guess I would just pay for it myself. Absolutely. You can do that as well. And then there are some, um, there are some states where it is also covered by your insurance. Um, like Oregon is one of those states. Um, Minnesota, um, they've been covering. And um, I think in Florida, if I'm not mistaken, but there's a couple states that already have laws on the books. Rhode Island is also one of them. Um, already have laws on the books. And then other states are like, you know, working on, um, you know, really putting into place their uh, doula reimbursement um, uh, legislation. Um, so a lot of that's going to come. We're going to see a lot of that over the next couple of years to kind of continue to advance this work. But um, it's absolutely, I think, imperative, especially for first time, you know, parents to have that support. It's just challenging to navigate the hospital system and understand your rights and understand like what's happening without having a guide, you know, like doulas really mm -hmm. are like kind of like your ears on the street, you know, when you're in these spaces. Yeah. I think it's so funny just hearing you talk. I'm sitting here thinking about how the birth rates are so significantly different in hospital and out of hospital and how these states are moving towards, you know, building these doula programs for people, probably becoming more and more aware of that. Um, and, and just kind of how we need just overall health doulas to navigate the overall health system, right? It's kind of what I do every single day on this show is we're bringing in people to help make us more aware of the ins and outs, where the strengths lie, where they don't, and and teaching people that you have to take your care into your own hands. And I'm realizing that that extends into birth and pregnancy and and all of that in such a way that I really hadn't thought about before, um, because it is it, there are a lot of amazing positive things out there. And then there are a lot of flaws too, but you have to be aware of them and having a health doula, let's say that helps you navigate it, which I kind of health doula for people with brain tumors and cancer and having gone on the different journeys I've gone on. I am like a, you know, I call myself a fake doctor. I should just call myself a health doula, I think behind the scenes helping people, but it's really important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, just everyone needs a guide, you know, and um, and I think that uh, birth is like a time in our lives where um, it's such a pivotal moment. It's such an impactful moment. Um, 
it's a, such a defining moment. And yet many people feel under supported, have traumatic experiences, have near death experiences, um, have lethal experiences. And, um, and, and yet like we haven't as a country really taken seriously that the United States is the most dangerous place in the developed world to give birth. That's frightening. That's right? a fact too. That's, That's a, a fact. fact. I, um, I'm really, really, really horrified by that statistic. As a first time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. It's pretty interesting to me that I've done this for a really long time and I've had a lot of doula conversations and and I'm still shocked at how little I knew about the differences in doula and midwives and the fact that it is potentially covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there's probably so many people out there that um, are probably pregnant right now and wish they could use a doula and don't know, A, what they really do, and B, how does that even work? If you talk to your gynecologist, do they usually recommend working with a doula or do they frown on it? You know, they don't really necessarily recommend a doula only because there's a couple of reasons. A couple of people love doulas. Um, you know, a lot of people don't because our job is to really um, ensure that you are empowered, that you stay in power of your birthing experience. Um, we're here to advocate along for your needs primarily, right? And sometimes your needs and goals aren't aligned with the institutional goals, right? So if you want to um, walk around and move your body and be free and walk the stairs, or it's like, it's policy to keep you inside and in the room and in bed, preferably, right? Well, because you're a liability, then if you get up and something happens, they could sue, right? Oh. Things like, yeah, things like this. And also, you know, like their job is to turn over beds, right? Like that's, it's a business. And so you spending multiple days giving birth is not aligned with their goals. Their goals are to have more people pass through more beds turn over. And so if you're having this really soft and slow and, you know, rhythmic and magical and transcendent birth, but it's over a period of three days, you're messing up the flow. (laughs) Like we could have had two people through here by now. Right. So, so like, 
my goal though, is for you to have that experience, right? Not like rush you through. And so, um, so sometimes, um, the conflict between the, um, the sort of capitalist framework that underpins um, our medical institutions is in conflict with what the basic needs are of people who go in to have their babies, right? Like those things are in direct conflict, even though we are sending people into those spaces and saying you should give birth here. So I think that you will have some practitioners who are like, I love doulas. I love working with them. They make my life easier. And then you'll have some who'll be like, um, they make my life really hard, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. it depends on where they sit and where their values are and and really how they see this process and, and where they are in the, in the game. I mean, I think I've worked with so many people who are like such great partners, doctors who I just love working with that we've done so many births together. We're like one mind when we're together. And then there's some people who I'm like, man, it's too bad that they're still practicing because the way that they see this experience is not like it's magical, you know, and, um, and you really need to see it as, um, as, as magical and mysterious and, and a blessing and, um, and transcendent and, and that it's actually, um, a trance, like people who are in labor are in a trance, like birth is about transcendence. And so, um, you know, we have to move beyond just, okay, like let's, you know, um, make sure people are safe, but at the at the detriment of their um, ability to feel connection and support, um, all these things that are like so important, right? Um, will really like over go overdrive on safety, right? And to, in a way that um, sometimes actually makes it more unsafe because of the things that we um, strip away make it harder for people to actually um, navigate uh, their labor as nature intended. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that, you know, it gets so in your head, people get so in their heads around this stuff and policies and, and, and they get so um, bogged down by legal that they don't think about the actual person in the room right? What's happening for them? They're having a birthday. It's a joyous occasion. It should be, right? Mm-hmm. And so so that's, we really have to um, recenter the humanity of the experience, right? And, and I believe that some physicians are in that space, right? That's where they're at with it. That's where their hearts are. That's where they want to be. And then some aren't, and right? And this is why we get like some experiences that are adverse, adverse outcomes, right? Where we have some people who are not aligned with you know, the safety and the goals of their clients and who actually cause harm inside of the medical system. We see that side too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is why, uh, and maybe because it's top of mind for me, because this is what I'm passionate about. I think that's why a lot of care is going to shift outside of these institutions because we're becoming more aware, we're becoming more awake, we're seeing more and and i think we're we are starting to step into our power and demanding better right it's not supposed to be you know wham bam thank you ma'am okay just deliver a baby here's you know oh it's not happening fast enough i got to get to the barbecue let's let's cut her open and get it out 
Um, I think care outside of the system is going to be a big thing. And I had a, a funny analogy for um, the difference in care, right? So if you know anything about finances and stuff, I, I read Tony Robbins' uh, book, Money, Master the Game years ago, and it was amazing. And I learned about the difference between a fiduciary and a broker. Do you know the difference? Um, Not a I lot probably, of people do. No. By the way, I've asked billionaires I'm this question. I'm married to money and finance. I'm married to okay. money and finance and I can't know. <laughs> I'm dying. Okay. So like, let me teach you. So, and, and it's crazy. Like I said, I've asked billionaires and they didn't know. And they felt so stupid after. I'm like, don't feel stupid. We just didn't know yet. So a fiduciary has a fiducial responsibility to do what's in your best interest. Oh, a course. broker... A broker has a split kind of purpose, right? He wants to make money for Charles Schwab or he wants to make money for JP Morgan or whatever. And he'll help you too. But behind the scenes, when they're selling you something, certain things have a higher percentage and you don't know it because it's going to them. So a fiduciary can't do that. So you are a fiduciary in the healthcare system. You have no allegiance or alliance to anybody but your patient. And that's what makes it really special. I love that. That's so great. I love (laughs) finances in. That's beautiful. Yes, we have a fiduciary responsibility. Um, And yeah, I think that fundamentally it is about the safety and dignity and sense of belonging and and making sure that we protect that, right? That's that's critically important. People need to feel seen, they need to feel heard, and they need to feel like they belong, right? And if I feel that um that I'm I'm safe, then I can endure anything, right? If I know that I'm backed by community, right? And belonging to someone means that you have community. And so um, we have to we have to like step back, especially after living through a global pandemic. We have to come back in and wrap ourselves around those we love and those who we're in community with. And people should not navigate the health continuum alone, certainly not through birth. And and I think that you know as we apply these these same principles to other areas of healthcare, right? Like don't let nobody navigate any of this stuff alone. We should not be alone. We're not, we're not really as much as I think we live in a society that does stress individualism. We're not, we are interdependent beings. We need each other. And if we, if COVID taught us anything, right. It stripped all the things that make us human, right. Talking, touching, hugging, right? Eating meals together, sitting next to each other, right? Like all the things that like you do that like, like, right? That help you to stay in community were stripped away from us for two years, right? We were in isolation. And what did we learn? That it led to depression because we cannot live alone. We cannot thrive alone. We thrive amongst many. And so in our work and and what we do at Mama Glow um, is we bring together community. We have a global community of doulas um, around the entire world, um, six continents. We have doulas represented, thousands of doulas, over 2,500 that I've trained globally. And these people are on the ground working in community and in service of community. 
and all with the goal of improving maternal health outcomes everywhere that they are, right? We can do this. We just have to do it with the mindset that we're together because guess what? We're better together. I didn't even have to say it, (laughs) but it's true. It really is. Um, Wow. For someone who's listening, who might be in the early stages of pregnancy or, you know, is working on it early stages, let's say, um, and you can't get a doula, so you can't get insurance to cover it. Um, you don't live somewhere where there's a program. Yep. What do you say, how do you advise them to be able to step into their power and to say to whoever their, you know, doctor is that they want what they want. If say they want a natural birth and they don't want to do a C-section and they, you know, whatever their preferences are, what is the guidance? How do you go about it the best way? Yeah. So I would say a couple of things. One is again, around not being alone, making sure that there is somebody that you can lean on that can support you. So if you have a partner or a best friend, or is it my aunt or my mom or a cousin or somebody that can kind of be a constant guide, a constant presence as you attend appointments, um, somebody else who can kind of be taking in that information and, and bouncing it off. It's really great to have someone who does have a little bit of background in healthcare um, because it is challenging to navigate, but there are a lot of online resources and ways that you can learn. Um, Mamaglow.com is certainly one of them, but there's so many resources available um, um, and books and things that you can read. I would suggest um, the one takeaway, though, for someone who is navigating uh, this this continuum to be thinking through as an advocacy tool. It's one of my favorite advocacy tools, and um, it can be essentially distilled down to an acronym. And I want you to write this down. And you can use this, by the way, whether or not you're pregnant, you can use this at any time, at any time in your life. and it helps you to um, really dial in on information as well as consent. Okay. And so, um, which is critical, right? Because um, consent is really um, the legal mandate around um, it is a, a, a conversation that has to occur between a patient. And that who provider who is going to um, provide a procedure or treatment prior to undergoing that procedure or treatment, you have to be explained certain information to be able to say, yes, I consent to this, right? What happens a lot of time is that um, things are just happening in a hospital and you just, things are happening to you. Right. And so you don't really know what to ask. You don't, you're, you're afraid, right. You're made to feel less powerful so that things can go much more smoothly. Right. And what we advocate for is at every juncture where there's going to be into any introduction of any new procedure or treatment that a conversation must be had and a patient must be made aware, they must be educated enough to make a decision, and then they must consent, right? And and if they don't, then you can't 
move forward, right? So how does it work? So the the first question that I ask always, if there's something that has to be done, um, what is the medical indication for this? Like, what is the medical reason for this, right? If you can give me- So this isn't, I have to get to my barbecue as the doctor. You know, this is like a bad scenario I'm giving. Like a doctor has, I've heard the story. They got to go to a barbecue or they're going to get to their event. And like, yeah, let's get the C-section done. So you're you're asking, what is the medical reason pinning them down? I like it. Yeah, what's the medical reason? Not, you know, why? Because why is kind of like, they can say anything. Right. Well, because, you know, there can be a lot of, you know, fluff around a question like this because you don't actually force them to give you actual evidence based information regarding your particular situation. So if you're saying to me that we're moving this way, what are the medical indicators for that? Meaning, what about my health in this moment is telling you that we should make this choice? They have to respond to that. And if they can't tell you, then cool. Then I'd like to stick to my plans, right? Because if you can't tell me why, then what's, then there's no reason why, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a reason that you don't want to share. So that's the first question that you want to ask. Then think about brain that I mentioned before, right? Brain stands for benefits or B, risks alternatives, intuition, and then nothing. So here's how it works, right? What are the benefits B, right? What are the benefits, right? So if we're going to do this, what are the benefits? What are the risks to me doing this? What are the alternatives to this treatment or procedure, right? Then an internal question, what's my intuition saying? Because that is wisdom and it is irrefutable wisdom, right? You have to trust that your body is an arbiter of safety. It is never going to put you in a situation where you don't get a sense that something is wrong and actually be inaccurate about it. Every time someone's in a situation, where they get a signal that something isn't right. The reason they get upset with themselves is because they didn't trust what their self said, right? Because Mm -hmm. self told me, self, what are you saying, self? No, 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 no. I'm going to rationalize my way out of it. No, listen to yourself because it's always steering you the right direction. So when something surfaces, you may not have the language to articulate what you're feeling. It may not be clear to you. You may not even have medical language to to say, here's what's happening, right? All you have to know is that something doesn't feel right or something feels all the way right, right? So it feels good or something feels wrong, right? That's all you have to know. And if something's telling you this does not feel right, that is a critical piece of information to consider as you make a choice, right? So intuition and then nothing. What if we did nothing, right? So what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? 
What's intuition saying? And what if we did nothing? This is applicable for everything. Everything you could apply this to. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Right? So use that and at every juncture, ask those questions. And then people have to provide you with information. Here's the benefits to doing this. Here's the risks to doing this. Because there's always both. There's not benefits and not risks, right? There's always both. So you need to have that. Once you have all that information from the clinical side, you checked in with yourself and your body, you talked to your family, you've thought it through, then you can make a decision. But when you don't have any information and things are just happening, you don't have autonomy, right? You lose sovereignty. And most people feel like they like things happened to them, right? They don't feel like they had agency. It's really important for people to maintain that sense of self-trust and self-power, right? And and so um, so part of why we ask these questions to gather information is so that we can, from an empowered place, make a decision, right? And then we also have the control to say, I know I gave consent. I'm revoking that consent, right? I'm changing Ooh. my mind. We have the power to <clears throat> Just because you said yes to something doesn't mean that it's also still yes. And we know this from navigating a very difficult period, right, of of sexual transgression on a global stage through Me Too. We understood like, oh, what does it mean, right, to cross a boundary? What does it mean that like I felt okay up to this point and now I don't, right? Um, We have a, a context for like what that means in this space, right? But, you know, in terms of survivors, we do not have a a healthy dialogue about what it means to transgress boundaries, personal boundaries of someone inside of a medical space, right? And so oftentimes people feel violations, people have traumatic events, they have um, they have triggers, right? They have these experiences that are are um, deeply painful and re-traumatizing mm-hmm. as a result of having people who are uninformed, who do not have trauma-informed backgrounds, who are not, who don't have cultural competency, and who don't have patience, and who cannot support people who are really sort of navigating a challenge that was a result of a a previous event or was triggered by um, something that's happening that's really unconscionable, right? Inside of medical space. And so all of this to say that you have the power, right? And and if you can, if you can really trust and feel connected, right, to your own intuition and your own internal wisdom and use that as a guide, right? Make sure that you have community right? Even if you don't have access to a doula, there are virtual doulas, there's information everywhere, but make sure that like what you focus on is building your, um, your self-trust because it's you who's going to carry yourself to the Mm -hmm. other side, right? And, um, and make sure that you feel like you have adequate information to, to help navigate this time because, you know, that's part of the battle. That's part of it. Oh, I love this so much because I'm always trying to implore people to listen to their intuition in the health space because a lot of us give our power over to doctors and just think they know better 
they're smarter than me, they're God or whatever. And that's not the case, right? Sometimes we know ourselves, I think we know ourselves better all the time, but you know, we have value in that room that we're not exercising. And, um, and so I love brain and I think it's applicable, like I said, to everything, not just pregnancy, all health and something that I'm going to make our team put together a social post so that everybody can just save it for when they go to the doctor and ask all of these questions. And I'll tell you, when you have a top tier doctor, like Dr. Keith Black at Cedar sinai number one brain surgeon in the world, he's our neurosurgeon. I don't want to just say brain because neurosurgeon covers a few things, but he's unbelievable. And he went through all of that with me. As I sat here, I was like, no, he talked about the benefits of surgery, the risks, the alternatives. He talked about everything. And, but you're not always going to get that. A lot of doctors spread fear to push you in. I remember my mom instantly was like, they were like, okay, we're going to operate on our Monday. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, and they give you so much fear. You feel like you have to make a decision and you just have to trust them. And then the family gets behind it and they're like, just operate. And you're like, no, 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 wait, there might be a better way. So um, all of this to say, Latham, we love you. Thank you for being with us. Um, thank you for sharing all of this. And um, we hope you'll come back again. Absolutely. And I remember coming while you were taking care of your mom and navigating that time um, and um, just so much love going up for you for how you showed up in that moment. Um, and also the, I know it's difficult. Um, I lost my granny in 2017 to a really aggressive um, ovarian cancer that um, you know, and she had one ovary and it just spread to our digestive tract mm. really quick. And unfortunately, um, you know, we didn't have her for long once it was diagnosed, but I was able to spend a lot of good time with her. And, um, you know, not everybody has family members who are so invested and able to navigate their care options um, in the way that you showed up. And so, I just, um, you know, just thank you for for that and for modeling for us, like what it looks like to to really be supportive of family. Um, thank so you, thank you. I love her. Isn't she amazing? Oh my gosh, I forgot because I was like, I know her name. I forgot Kevin had interviewed yeah. her. So, um, it, wow, it was funny because I. She, she came up on my Instagram and she was one of the guests that when Kevin and I chatted with her, I was like, Maria needs to meet her. Like, I just knew that you guys, like we had such an incredible conversation with her, but I knew that you would just love her. So it was funny. So I reached back out to them and they were so excited and I was excited. And yeah, that conversation was everything. I'm so cool. Brain. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. Like what a brilliant way to remember the important questions you have to ask when you are facing any kind of real medical thing. I love it. Um, I also really loved learning the difference between doulas and midwives because, you know, Lori Bregman's my dearest friend. She's right. an incredible doula. I feel like I've always focused on the doula work. I didn't remember midwives. And when she said something about midwives, I was like, wait, what, what is the difference between a midwife and a doula? And I just love the rabbit hole that we went down. 
That was a cool conversation because I have no idea about any of that. I only know the doula from Lori as well, but the whole midwife conversation, especially like even knowing that your insurance, like you do have a chance of getting it covered. I mean, how cool. There are other options that we just don't Mm -hmm. know about. So conversations like these, I think are so important. We don't know about it. And so let me just remind everybody right now, the easiest way when you need something is to go to Google and say, are there free doulas? Are there free, you know, cancer treatments? Are there free Reiki treatments? Like whatever it is, just Google and search pro bono this, whatever you need. I mean, I'm like crazy Googler. I I like swear to God, we should do like, what have you Googled lately? And you just see, it's like, does this do this? And can your health change this? Blah, 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 blah. So, um, I, I love that she shared that and you can go to mamaglow.com and um, look into the resources that she does uh, offer as well. But um, also I'm really gra- grateful that I remember that I am a health doula. That's right. <laughs> I forgot. I had that realization with somebody else yep. a long time ago. Um, and uh, I'm really, really glad because that is a really good way. Because so, I'm always like, I'm a fake doctor, but I don't have a doctor complex. Trust me. And I don't know how to say it when I'm like, mm-hmm. just trust me. I know a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, and and then I also loved the conversation around healthcare outside of the system, because I do think that that's where we're trending. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see the shifts. You know, that's when, look at Elon Musk. I know he's not a popular name right now, but when he came out with the Tesla that changed the electric vehicle conversation, everyone had to get into electric vehicles because he came out and he made an amazing one that everybody wanted. And so that changed it. So as you know, these amazing outside healthcare professionals keep pounding the pavement and becoming more popular, the establishments are going to have to, you know, the, the GMCs or the Chevrolets and the Chryslers and the, you know, the Toyotas are all going to have to, although Toyota was already up with Prius, but anyway, you know what I'm saying, friends. Uh, everyone's going to have to step up and make adjustments and shifts. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's cool we're getting to watch it all. Amen. Mic drop. All right, friends. Let's and leave that right there. I want to say too, we're not only getting to watch it all, Maria, but we're a part of it and like spreading the word about, about it all. You know, like, like I said, I... I would have never known what the heck a midwife was until I might have done the research or I might not have. Mm-hmm. So I'm just so grateful. And I know that our listeners feel the same. It's like you're bringing all these people in who are helping us understand that there are these other ways and then we all have to rise. So it's pretty Guys, exciting. This is the most important information in the world. I what know. we get to do here every single day is literally the most important information in the world because it's your health and your life. And so I'm so giddy that this is what we get to do every day and that we get to do it together as a heel squad. What up heel squad? Kelsey's got the old logos in the background, but that's okay. (laughs) The better together logos. Oh yeah, I do. That's true because this airs after. Sorry, y'all. Sorry, but I just (laughs) want to say how interesting it was to learn how much it cost to give birth that is insane. And like, no it idea. might be even be cheaper if you go outside of the regular hospital, if you're able to, to have a midwife, then it's even cheaper. And you have, 
don't know, just a greater support system in a sense. So you get great reminder. Yeah. Cause I, that blew my mind. I'm like, gosh, how expensive just to have a baby. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Pretty we're, wild. We're in, yeah. Every part of we're in here Googling, like is adoption the same amount? It's like everything's expensive. So yeah. Wild. Anyhow, friends, thanks for being with us as always. Uh, if you haven't left us a review, we would love one for Christmas. It would be our gift mm-hmm. uh, that you would give us. So click the link below and uh, let us know what you think of the show. And uh, if we deserve a five star, give us that five star. Um, in the meantime, be nice people, make good choices and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you.